Let's pray. Father, we, we need you. I need you, especially right now. We need your help in knowing your word, doing your word. We need help in giving ourselves over in worship to you. So would you help us right now? Would you help us? Father, I also uh, want to remember to lift up someone I forgot earlier, uh, John Dirk, our brother John Dirk, who has some gallbladder issues. I uh, just want to lift him up as he's in the hospital this weekend and give him into your hands and ask for healing in his body. And uh, now would you work amongst us as well with your mighty power. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> would you turn to John uh, chapter 17? while I get something set up. Now, if you're going to be streaming this online, there'll probably be a gap or nothing said, right, you know? So if you stuck with it this far, you people that stream the sermon, thanks for sticking with us. (laughs) All right. All right. It's called the Kol Yahweh. The Kol Yahweh, which in Hebrew it means the voice of God. The voice of God, the Kol Yahweh. And the Kol Yahweh has the power to change things. When the Kol Yahweh is uttered, yeah, things change. Things happen. Things transform. Genesis 1-3, let there be light. And there wasn't a sun yet, but because the Kol Yahweh said it, there was light. Genesis 12, Abraham, go from your country and your kindred, and I'll make you a great nation. No worries about the fact that you're so old. I will make you a great nation. And it was done. Exodus 5, Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, The Lord, the God of Israel, says, the Kol Yahweh says, Let my people go. And with the mighty power of God, they left Egypt. The, the Kol Yahweh has shaped our morality. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. Honor your father and mother. The words of God have shaped our morality for centuries. And then as you move forward, you get uh, the prophet Jeremiah, who says, Uh, The Lord says to him, Is not my word like a fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? My voice, my word breaks things. When I speak, things crumble. Or how about the prophet Isaiah? A lot of you know this one. So shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but shall accomplish that which I purpose It shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Whatever God says, it's going to succeed. If he says it, it will be done. That's his voice. Or how about Ezekiel? 
Uh, this is God looking at Israel in Israel's uh, uh, birth as a nation and how nobody cared about Jacob. Nobody cared about Abraham. No, nobody gave any mind to them when the Egyptians oppressed Israel for hundreds of years. But God saw them, and this is what God says in Ezekiel. No, I pitied you. This is Ezekiel 16.5. No, I pitied you to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you. But you were cast out of the open field. You were abhorred on the day you were born. And when I passed by you and I saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you in your blood, live. I said to you in your blood, live. And so Israel lives today. Because God saw them and said, I want that nation to live. Nobody else cares, but I care. And I've spoken. Live. How about Hebrews 1.3? He's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. And He, meaning Jesus, upholds the universe by what? By the word of His power. By the word of His power. So Jesus speaks and the universe still holds together. And if Jesus said, be undone, the universe will come undone. It's only His word that holds it all together. James 1.18, uh, someone read this this morning, one of the kids. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. His word gave birth to us. Uh, brought forth means to be given birth. You've been saved because of the Bible. So let me ask you this. What all has this book done to you? What has this book done to you. I mean, this is the Word of God. This, this is the Word that, that breaks the stones, right? This is the Word that if God says to somebody, live in it, this causes life. This is the Word of God. Jesus says in John 17, sanctify them in your truth. Your Word is truth. Th this is truth. And He doesn't say, your Word is truthful, some people would like it to be an adjective. You know, it's a truthful word. You'll, you'll find lots of good truth in here. But, but Jesus actually says your word is truth. That's what it is. It is the truth. This is for the kids, although it would probably be good for all of us. God's word is truth. You kids, you go to school, and you got, you got books. I still have some of my school books. History books. You got history. Anybody like social studies? History? Any of you? Some of you? Yeah? History has a lot of knowledge in it. We don't want to repeat history in a negative way, right? We want to learn from history. History contains truth. Now, now, now don't, I, I don't think everything in our history books is true. It's the best accurate reporting we can get. But, but history contains truth, and it, and it shows us the mistakes of our ancestors. And let's not do that again. Let's not fight another civil war ever again. Let's never have another slave in this country, even though we also know human trafficking is a very real thing. Let's do what we can to wipe that out. History teaches us things. And then there's, there's literature. Literature teaches us things. 
the writings of people from ancient times, their fiction, their biographies. We learn from them. We grow from them. We gain wisdom from other people's thoughts. There's truth here. And then uh, maybe when you get to college, you get to do philosophy. I should have sold this thing much earlier, but I still have it. Uh, philosoph- I'm not a big philosopher, I'm sorry, but philosophy, the, using logic and reason to figure out meaning in life. Uh, the famous philosopher Cicero uh, once said, the real purpose of philosophy is just to figure out how to die well. You know? And uh, there's a lot of truth to that. Philosophy, I'm using reason to figure out the things of life. Logic, reason, philosophy. Some good stuff in there. Maybe some bad stuff too, but there's some good stuff in there. And then my kids love, oh, the Guinness Book of World Records. You all have one of these in your house. All you, all you kids have one of these, right? You should. Um, this is a little dated. This is 2012. But we've accomplished a lot of cool things in life. I mean, people, I mean, I saw that the, that the biggest ice cream tower was like 3,000 scoops of ice cream. Good job, Baskin-Robbins, you know? Good job. We've done some amazing things. We've had advances in technology. The humans can achieve so much. A lot of, a lot of good truth in here. A lot of good things we've done as a society. World records. What else? Oh, and then there's this one. I just picked a composition book because I didn't know how to illustrate this really well. But there, there's all the truth your mama passed down to you, right? And your daddy, you know? Don't be late for dinner. Make your bed. Do life this way. This is how we discipline our kids. This is how we act. This is what time you get up in the morning. This is your work ethic. Oh, there's lots of truths we filled this book up with. It was blank. We were born, born into sin, of course, but, but we learned a lot of things from our parents and our grandparents, and we filled this thing up with bad and good, but we filled it with a lot of truth. I'm, never gonna, I'm not going to fault you for being a hard worker, dedicated to your job. It's good stuff in here. I'm not going to fault you for getting up early in the morning and getting to it, giving your best in school. You learned a lot of good things from your parents and your grandparents. There's some negative stuff there, too, I know. It goes on here. And so we look at these bodies of knowledge. I didn't have a math book. I, got, I burned all those. Sorry. Um, <laughs> amen. There we go. <laughs> someone, someone just shushed me. Who was that? Um, okay. Um, math book, right? You know, I remember, I remember uh, in social studies, I read this book by Thomas Sowell called Vision of the Anointed. And there was a chapter in it in high school. Great book, by the way. There's a chapter in it, and, and the chapter was titled The Irrelevance of Evidence. And, and he showed how you can use statistics, numbers, to say anything. You can use them to say anything. I can show you numbers that say the economy's great. I can show you numbers that say the economy's tanking. I can show you. And politicians use those every day. Numbers, math, trigonometry, geometry with its proofs and theorems and you're, you're, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You love it? All right, well, Rachel likes it. That's good. Um, the only test I ever failed in high school was a geometry test. That was it. That was it. So, 
Amen. <laughs> all right, all right, here we go. Touchdown. Oh, okay. <laughs> so we have knowledge. We have ways of figuring out life. And for some people, we figured it out with what we can accomplish as a society. World records, technology, the advancement of the species. I could have put science in here, but I burned those two. Um, I mean, I should have put science up here because science tries to answer the big questions about life. If we could just, we know how we all originated. It must have been an explosion. It must have been evolution. It must have been all of these bodies of knowledge try to tell us this is the meaning of your life. This is how you can learn. This is truth for you. This is how you can shape your life for the better. Even mama, that's a good one. That's on top here. But what we're saying as the people of God that, and kids, this is for you. Never forget this, kids. Never forget it. We take the Bible and we say, that's on the top. That's what we do. We say, we are people of this book. And you can love your math. You can love your records and advancement. You can love history, philosophy, Good stuff, science. You can love that stuff. You, you can follow your parents' values that they gave you. But at some point, what Mama said might disagree with this book. And then what Mama said has to go. Okay? And at some point, you might say, philosophy says this. And it disagrees with the Bible, the book. And it's got to go. It's got to go. And the numbers say if we just do this, that will work out. But if it disagrees with the morality in here, it's got to go. And if science tells you that the fetus is not a person, and the Bible says it is, it's got to go. That's what we're saying, kids and adults. We're saying everything gets measured by this book. And, and every truth in the world gets measured by the book. Uh, I did uh, my master's degree is in transformational leadership from uh, Bethel Seminary. One of the biggest blessings was having uh, the, the chair of the department of transformational leadership. He was a knowledgeable guy. He had us read Harvard Business Review articles. But everything we read, every secular piece that we read, he said, when you write your reports on it, I want you to measure it by the book. And you might have to throw some stuff out. Do you know what a blessing it is to, to read literature and, and have a guy say, nothing trumps the Bible. Nothing. What has the Bible done to you? Would you look at uh, John 17 with me? And kids, if you remember that for the rest of your life, that everything gets measured to the truth, the truth of the Bible, you will do well. You will do well. Uh, yesterday was just pointed out uh, at, the, at the men's conference that the only time in the entire Bible that it tells you how to have success is Joshua chapter 1, and how you have success is by obeying and doing everything written in the book of the law. You want a successful life? You do the book. That's it. That's it. John seventeen thirteen. Jesus is praying for his disciples. And I want to show you how the book, the Bible, 
relates to our prayer life and how we pray based on what we know in the book. I want, I want to show you that. And I want, I want to answer this question. What has the Bible done to you? What has the Bible done to you? If the voice of God twists the trees, levels mountains, speaks light into existence, what has it done to you? Verse 13. Jesus says to his Father, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they're not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They're not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. There's two prayer requests in this, those verses that we just read. There's two. The first one is, keep them from the evil one. Protect them. That's verse 15. Protect them or keep them from the evil one. The second prayer request is, sanctify them by your truth. I want to start with the first one, to sanctify them by your truth. What has the Word of God done to us that we need to pray this prayer, sanctify them? Keep them sanctified. Number one, the word of the Lord has made you a holy people. That's what it's done to you. It's made you holy. Holy means set apart, pure, morally righteous. It's, it's like, a, it's like a, you got all sorts of plates in your house. you got... You got the regular dishes you bought at Walmart or the garage sale, but then you got your fine china, the expensive dishes that come out every once in a while. And, and you keep those dishes on the top shelf. You don't put them next to the paper plates lest your kids pull them out and use them, but you save them. They're separate. There's the other plates. There's the Walmart plates, paper plates, disposable plates, all sorts of stuff on the, on the lower shelf. But over here is the special plates. The precious ones, the ones you don't want to break, they mean something. They're set apart from the rest. And that's the holy people. We, we are holy. And I really, I guess in the end it was easy to choose the word holy for this, but at the same time, uh, I wanted to use words like peculiar and strange and different, like to get that ap- across a little better. Like when we say holy, we think like, I went to church today. You know, <laughs> like that. Uh, but but it's not like that. It's it's like you're so different. There's nobody else like you. How do we see this in the passage? That we're a holy people. Well, verse 13. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things. There's the words of Jesus. I've said these words while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. You are a set-apart people. You're different. You're peculiar. You're strange. Because you get joy. You get Jesus' joy in you. That's why when people go to a Christian funeral, they will see tears, but they'll also be shocked by joy. They'll be shocked by joy. Your funeral, people will be shocked by joy. You may even have some laughing. 
That's the way it is, because it's not the end. You get joy. Did I not put that in the notes, Jim? I don't know if I... Oh, happy. I'm sorry. Happy. There it is. Happy. I had an obsession with H words last night. I'm sorry. Um, Happy. You're happy. But you'll never find a verse in the Bible that says, pursue joy. Pursue happiness. I mean, that's an American thing, the, the pursuit of happiness. But the Bible never says to pursue happiness. At least, I've never found the verse. Instead, you have verses that say, if you pursue the Lord, if you obey the word, then you get the joy and the happiness. If you obey this book, you become a strange people that have a lot of joy. Did I uh, put the verse in there, the, the Jeremiah fifteen sixteen? Your words were found, and I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. Now, I know that there's lots of different joys in life. I know, I know that there's the joy of family, the joy of seeing this beautiful world and being in the creation God made. But when you, when, when you really boil down a joy that will never, ever go away, a joy that will never go away. Because, you know, I was at the beach last week, and that gives me a lot of joy to see the sun set on the beach. I love that. But I don't get to see that every day. That doesn't matter because if you know this book and you do this book, you get joy. It's not from the things you buy. It's not from what you have. It's not from the world is going after that stuff because they think that's what does it. This is what does it. This is why on your worst day you could be at work and something really bad happens and you still have a smile on your face and you still have Stability, and the person across from you looks at you like, what in the world is wrong with you? I'd be broken at this. I would be a mess. I'd be, and we do get messy. I get that. But you've seen Christians that have stood up in the face of tragedy. Maybe it's months after, even years after, but they've stood up and they haven't let that destroy them. And that's what we're talking about. They keep knowing and doing the word. And it brings joy. That's it. You want joy? Do this. It's promised. The other thing that being a holy people means is uh, we're heavenly. We have, we have a heavenly home. We have a he- See, I told you H word, sorry. Um, we have a heavenly home. Uh, so Jesus says it like this. Um, I've given them your word. This is verse 14. The world has hated them, for they are not of this world any more than I am of this world. You're not of this world. Yeah, you were born in this world, but you're not of this world. This world is not your home. One day... Heaven and earth will come crashing together and everything will be remade. That's the best way I can figure out the end of Revelation. Heaven comes down and it smashes into earth and everything's new. Everything's made new. We have a heavenly home. Ephesians says it like this. Let me put that up. Uh, We've been raised up with Jesus and seated with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus. You ever wondered what in the world it means to be seated with Jesus? I don't know that I know it all the way, but... I think I know this. I'm seated with him because I'm united to Christ. I'm in him and he's in me. So if he's in heaven, spiritually speaking, I'm in heaven. If he's there, I'm there because we're united. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but he lives in me. That makes me different. And so if we're united, Jesus and me and Jesus and you, then if he's sitting up there in heaven, I'm sitting up there in heaven. And you're sitting up there in heaven. 
It has to be if you're united to Christ. And the other thing about sitting, sitting is what you do when you're done with the end of the day of work. Like We don't understand this so well because some of us sit for a job, but, <laughs> right? <laughs> Me. Uh, if, if you don't sit for a job, you know exactly what this means. Sitting time means work's over. Sitting is what the farmer can do. The construction guy can sit because he's done. And Jesus can sit because your sins have been paid for. He can sit. It's, it's accomplished. You don't have to do anything to accomplish your salvation but receive it by faith. That's it. And you're sitting. You're sitting with Jesus. You're sitting in heaven. You have a heavenly home. We're a weird people. And uh, when you think about the fact that you're as good as in heaven already, that changes the way you look at the world around you. And as Andrew said, it gives you an eternal perspective. If that's where I am now, I can look at this all differently. Uh, C, handiwork. Handiwork, Ephesians 2.10. We're God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus. So to be holy is to be set apart. Uh, and you're set apart for a purpose. So, so look at what Jesus says. Maybe you wondered why he said it like this. Verse 17, he said, Sanctify them. That means make them holy. Set them apart by the truth. Your word is truth. So the Bible does this to us. It makes us weird and peculiar and different and holy. As you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. There's mission. I came to the world for a mission. I'm sending them to the world for a mission. For them, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. Isn't that weird? For them, I sanctify myself, Jesus says. Jesus, can you be more holy than you are now? Can you be more sanctified than you are? Like, he says, I'm sanctifying myself. How do you do that? It can't mean that Jesus becomes more holy, but it can mean that Jesus is saying, I've been set apart for a purpose, to do good works that God created for me to do. Those works, Jesus wasn't created a created being, but God gave them him works to do. And he's going to do them. He's going to go to the cross. Mission. That's mission. To be a set-apart people means this book is telling you what you're supposed to be doing and what you're not supposed to be doing. And you're weird enough that you're not going to do those things like everybody else. And you're going to walk away when everybody starts doing them. You're out. And, and the things you're supposed to be doing, you're going to do those things. You're going to help those people, the people that no one else noticed. Just like we looked at earlier, when, when, Jesus see, or when God sees Israel lying in its blood as a nation, nobody cares, but he's like, I care, live. We're supposed to go to people and share that word. Live. God wants you to live. Step in the light. Change your life. We have a mission. And this book tells us what the mission is supposed to be, what we're supposed to do, and what we're not supposed to do. You want joy? Don't do what this book tells you not to do. You want joy? Do what the book tells you to do, even though no one else thinks that's a smart idea. You know, Because why would you spend your life for somebody else? Why would you do that? It's a secret of joy. It's Jesus' life. Why would you give your life on the cross at age 33? It's a secret of joy. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So we're weird. I mean, that, that's, I guess that's what I wanted to say. And, and, and I don't mean this. I don't mean we're like, I've met some weird Christians. Like, I mean, like, they're truly odd. 
and it's almost like they're not useful on mission because they're just so weird. You know what I mean? Like, really judgmental Christians. That's weird in a bad way, you know? When you start judging everybody around you and acting like you're better than everybody else, you're not useful for the kingdom because you're a sinner too. I I don't mean that kind of weird. I I don't mean the weird where um, you can never, ever talk about anything in the world. You can only talk about the Bible 24-7. Like, that's... That's cool. I want, I, we should talk about the Bible all the time. But it's okay to talk about the rain that's coming or the snow that's coming, you know, how the crops are doing or, you know, going out into the woods. That's good. What I mean by weird is you do want to talk about the Bible a lot. You do bring it up probably a little too much. That is good. And, and you do walk away. When you see a group of people doing something wrong and trying to pull you into it, you do walk away. You're weird. You're different. You're peculiar. You're a holy people. And that's why Jesus says, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them. Jesus is saying, would, Father, would you make the Bible transform these people into a holy people, totally on mission, full of my joy, doing the work you've set out for me to do, knowing their homes in heaven. Would you, would you do that through the Word? This morning when we do our prayer time over here in the library, which all of you should be there. I should, have, I should not have enough seats over here, just so you know. Um, but, but I always have seats. But, but I want to encourage you to be there. We're going to pray for the ministries of the church. They're on the back of your, uh, your handout. Pray for them during the week. Stay and pray this morning with us. Pray that we would be a different kind of people growing in the Word of God. Pray for that. That's why Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth. Make them so different. Now, there's an edge to this prayer. And it's interesting because I started with sanctification, but um, I could have started with the first one Jesus said. And that was, keep them from the evil one. Look at uh, chapter 17 again uh, in verse... 14, I've given them my word, and the world has hated them. I've given them my word, and the world has hated them. You see, the problem is, people that have done these bodies of knowledge begin to hate this because it rules over everything else. When you know that this book is the book and rules over the rest... If you won't submit to this book and its morality and its views of God and the revelation of Him, you begin to hate this book and hate the people that follow this book. This is what I read. I've given them your word and the world has hated them. But the funny thing is, he, Jesus doesn't pray, protect them from the world. I mean, I mean, okay, if someone hates you and hates you enough to want to kill you, and Jesus predicted that too, by the way. If they hated me, they'll hate you. Um, If the world hates you and wants to kill you, you might think Jesus would pray, Father, protect them from the world. But he doesn't. He says, protect them from the evil one. Protect them from the evil one. Protect them from the devil. Protect them from spiritual attack. Because Jesus knows this. Whatever comes at us in the world is fueled by Satan. And the world's not going to wreck your faith. 
Satan wants to wreck your faith. The world doesn't come to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The world's not a roaring lion. Satan is a roaring lion. And so the world may hate you because of this book, but it's Satan that's fueling the fire. He's doing this. We pray against him. Protect us from Satan because he wants to destroy us. Would you be a people that pray for the spiritual battle that rages every single day? Would you treat life like it is a war zone? That's what you've got to do. And when you see Christians failing, would you know that they're just taking enemy fire and start praying for them instead of condemning them? We're in battle. So we pray, God, keep us, protect us, from Satan. Uh, Peter, you know this famous one with Peter. We could put that verse up. Simon. Simon, behold, Satan's demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Demanded. I mean, Satan's like, I'm going to have that guy. I want that guy. You ever seen uh, the Rocky movies, right? And, and whoever Rocky's fighting, it's like, I'm going to get you, you know? <laughs> it's, always, it's always that guy that's just challenging him and just furious and, and I'm coming at you. And, and you get that here, like, Satan wants you. I mean, you think about that. When you start living on mission, obeying God, Satan sees you and says, I want that guy. I want that woman. I'm going to have them. I'm going to sift them. I'm going to destroy them. He wants you. That's why we pray regarding spiritual battle. Because the battle's fierce even though we can't even see the actual battle raging. We see the effects of it. We see the fall of Christians. We see the fall of Christian leaders. We see the suffering people go through. And even though God allows suffering in the case of Job, we know Satan wanted to destroy his faith. He will curse you, God. Satan's purpose for suffering in Job's life was to get him to turn his back on God. Now, he wouldn't, because you've got things like this. I've prayed for you, Peter, that your faith may not fail. When you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. Yeah, he did fail. He did deny him three times, but he didn't fail in that he never left the faith. He persevered. We need to be praying for perseverance. Pray for yourself that Satan might not tempt you to walk away. Satan might not tempt you to stumble in a way that would hurt the Lord and the people you love the most in this world. Pray, because the battle's fierce. And you and I all know people that have been in the church that have fallen. We know their names. We know their faces. Some of us have been tempted to mock them when it happened. Some of us have cried the tears when it happened. We know. Satan wants them. He demands to have them. He demands to have you. So there is a worldly hate and there's a satanic hate. I don't know if that ever made it up on the notes or not. There's a satanic hate for who you are in Christ. And when you step into your mission, it's coming at you. The victory, though, is in Christ. The victory is in Christ. He is praying for you. The Holy Spirit prays for you, Romans says. You should pray for you. You should pray for others. This is a big deal. 
when you read the Word of God and see what it calls you to be, and see what's coming at you, I believe you'll get on your knees more and more and more. So I'm saying, this book will make you more prayerful if you read it and understand the stakes, understand what's really going on around you. This book will put you on your knees if you understand it properly. Let me pray for you.